0: All right, so I am here today with Jordan Harbinger, the co founder of the Art of Charm and many talents uh I was on his show not too long ago, and uh such an interesting guy. I wanted to have him on my show, so welcome. How are you?
1: Good man? thanks. I appreciate the opportunity
0: yeah so you're uh you're doing all kinds of big things in it I know art of charm you guys are one of the uh Bigger podcast out there in the kind of health uh, slash self help uh, area, right?
1: Yeah, we are the number one podcast in self help and number one in health right now. Sometimes we duke it out with uh, Dan Savage over at Savage Lovecast for number one in health. But yeah, it's a, it's a, in health. It's either going to be me, Dave Asprey, or Dan Savage, and usually on, Dan takes it. Man, damn New York Times syndicated columnist. he has got the it's got a lot of backing, but you know we can try. Well, good. You're like bootstrapped
0: your way out of out of just without the big institutions behind you and caught up.
1: Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's a lot of work. But, you know, that's we do it all for you guys.
0: So, you know, I'm all about the good life, This show, Grand Theories, everything. I've been kind of someone just exploring life. And, you know, I focus down on those four big areas, health, wealth, love and happiness. And for you, art of charm is pretty much about something similar, you know, self improvement. Um, it's obviously got a little bit of a slant towards love slash dating. So let's start out. Kind of, I like to start in the middle. Uh, what is the biggest thing that you think um, the biggest insight you're bringing to your audience that that we can talk about today?
1: I mean, it's really hard to figure out what any sort of biggest insight is, because I guess that depends on each person, right? So it's Except really... For you, for
0: you, what, what you've seen, just, you know, Peter Drucker calls feedback analysis from the audience, a consistent theme of going, thank you, you have enlightened me on blank Obviously, I'm sure you enlighten people on dozens of subjects, but if you had to kind of narrow it down to one or two things, let's let's start by talking about those. What are the... Let's start with, just pick one that, that stuck out to you over the, you've been doing it for a couple of years now, right?
1: Seven years, seven and a half. Yeah, wow. one of the longest running shows in iTunes, actually.
0: Wow, awesome. So what's, what's kind of been a couple of consistent themes you've seen that people go, before I met you, I was lost. I call it planes of reality. They had low levels of reality, like Plato's in the Republic, the cave, people looking at shadows, and you brought them out of the cave and said, look at the light. What's the insight, some of the insights you've given?
1: Uh, well, I mean, essentially, I think the number one, if we're looking, at, looking to throw it in on a, on a pyramid, is the idea that confidence and, in, in, in a sense, self-confidence and your own personal image, the way you appear to others, can be a learned skill. I think a lot of people think that you're born with it or you're not. and uh, our, In fact, the old slogan of the Art of Charm, our school used to be the school we run in L.A. where we teach this stuff used to be either you're born with it or you learn it from us. But actually, it's (laughs) not inborn at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we had to change it because, you know, as the science has shown, and we kind of thought we were getting away with it for a while, the science has shown, and we've talked about over and over, no one is born confident. In fact, there's absolutely no genetic basis for it whatsoever. Uh, There might be certain people who are born better looking or taller or something like that that elicits better positive feedback from the external environment over time, and at a younger age that in, it helps them develop confidence, but there's no, nobody's born with it. And it's always developed as a result of the feedback that you get and the mindsets that you have, which of course are largely what dictate what kind of feedback you get from others. So we focus on training those mindsets so that people can get positive reinforcement from the outside, which will then reinforce those belief systems, which cause confidence. So it right. really is a learnable skill, and it's a physical skill largely. Right. So
0: okay, it's interesting. I was just reading uh, a good uh, good book by Doctor Molem it. it's uh, called Inheritance. It's about uh, epigenetics and the genes, and so it's a similar thing. You know, we don't obviously know everything about DNA and genes, but we know now that uh, whether you're born with it or not, it doesn't even matter. A lot of people are worried about that because. Even if it was, let's say, in a hypothetical alternate universe, you could be born with confidence. Um, we know now that with epigenetics, certain actions you do or do not do will turn off the gene and not have it expressed. So just like you said, it doesn't even matter if it's genetic or not, because if you don't do certain things, you will not elicit uh, you know, or, or exhibit confidence. So what are the things you've seen? Let's say you take somebody. And they're never been confident, went through high school, made fun of, nerds, their twenties or thirties, never quite been able to get it going. That's a tough task to reverse years of habitual change. What do you where do people start if they're not confident?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a long road, and that's for sure. I mean, that's I guess one of the main reasons why a lot of people decide that this is something that, oh, you must be born with, because it's easier to do that than to say I'm going to work on this aspect of myself. So essentially where people are not exhibiting confidence, the the most readily accessible example of this is bad body language and bad nonverbal communication. Our bodies never lie. And so even if the words outside of that come out of our mouth do or the fact that, you know, a lot of people will assemble material wealth or put people around them to make them appear superficially confident, uh, people who are not people who have two brain cells to rub together or are critical thinkers, will notice immediately, oh, this person might have a lot of fancy things and might even have a lot of fancy friends, but they themselves have deep-rooted insecurities that are readily apparent. So we will focus on changing nonverbal communication, but more importantly, we focus on the belief systems that are in place because we we know that our beliefs, and this is a core tenet of the Art of Charm, our beliefs influence our actions, which influence our results. So you can't just change your actions, buy a fancy car, buy a fancy house, because even though those might influence your results, you might get people to like you and want to be around you, it doesn't change who you are and it doesn't filter in high value people. Uh, So you have to be able to change your belief system in order to really get there and to feel that. Otherwise you're just posing. And so we start with the physiology because it's quite frankly the easiest thing to change. So we'll start with nonverbal communication, the way you sit, stand, walk, talk, eye contact, and vocal tonality. And that is a great place to start because what that does, even though it is influencing the action, it'll influence the results directly, which will then reinforce positive right. mindset. You get, that positive, you get that positive feedback. Exactly. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, one of the, like you have a, say your self-esteem is having a heart attack. We're going to put the pedals on you, on your chest, and give you that kickstart. Right. Uh, because if we don't, right. it's really, otherwise, people try to do this, they try to go for the belief systems first, and that can, we do that in combination with the physiology at the Art of Charm, but we do it with, like, therapists we have on staff, coaches we have on staff. If you try to do it yourself, it's ridiculous, right. because what happens is well, you... Well, there's that old saying,
0: there's a saying there's that if you're drowning, you can't pull yourself out by your own hair. It's impossible. If you're in the right. water, you can't grab your hair, so that you gotta have someone on a firm ground. a firm ground reach out and pull you out. That's hard right. for people to humble themselves it, and come to that place.
1: It, it is hard. And so we have a lot of ego objections to getting into some of our classes and things like that from guys who don't quite get it. But it's very true because if you think about it, you can't sit there in the mirror and go, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it. People like me. It doesn't work. <laughs>
0: Tony Robbins. <line. laughs>
1: right. Right. That's Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live. But yeah, it's, it doesn't work. In fact, all of right. the science will show you that you're, you can say that all you want, but you don't really believe it, so it doesn't reinforce right. anything other than you telling yourself something that you don't believe, which is not well, helpful to your self-esteem at all.
0: I, I think the thing that gets lost, if you study, you know, I'm friends with Dr. David Buss, uh, you know, in my recommended books, I, he's the number one, his evolutionary technology textbook is number one. He has, there's fascinating insight he has. Uh, I've talked to him, I was down there in Austin recently, the insight on self-esteem and confidence as to, so everything that is in the human mind still is here because it's had an adaptive purpose It serves some purpose or else we would have got rid of it 10,000 generations ago. So we're the product of people that had a certain um, ability to gauge themselves in the social strata. So what what I tell people that aren't confident is I say, look, confidence is more, uh, in great part from skill, get good at something and you can build confidence because at the end of the day with science what we know about the brain is the brains really just like you just said if the brain accurately assesses you, you as a low uh, low level person and I'm you know obviously this is a loaded word to say but if your brain says you're not as good as the other 20 people around you, uh, you're going to have a hard time tricking your brain into just going, know oh, no, no. Well, no, you really are, because the brain is smarter than we think, the heuristical patterns of our brain. So what you really have to do is compete, like Will Durant said. Life is the second biological lesson of life. is Life is competition. It's selection. You must go up the chain, and as you go up the chain, confidence comes also.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and one of the things that we do for our clients after their program is that, namely, we say, all right, cool, now go out and conquer, make a list of some of the things that you've been afraid to do, and with the newfound confidence they have from boot camp, go out and conquer those, because that consistently reinforces, oh, I can do this. I just did some stuff at the Art of Charm that I never would have done. Maybe I should go skydiving. Maybe I should train for a half marathon. Maybe I should join a gym. Maybe I should learn you know, hula hoop tricks or whatever it is that you wanted to do that you've never really had the gumption to go and try because you were afraid of failure. Now you don't have to worry about that because failure is your friend after this class.
0: Exactly. No, that's good. Because it's like the Dalai Lama in his his book, Beyond Religion. He says it's, he teaches three levels of understanding. Level one is just book knowledge. You you have, You listen to somebody, you get some insight in your brain. He says level two is kind of, you know, meditating on it or making it. Uh, thinking deeply on it, but he says level three is what you want when it becomes instinctual. Become when it becomes. A pro, Michael Jordan playing basketball, he is in flow. He's not thinking when he plays basketball. My friend Don Ravine is here. He trains LeBron James and Carmelo, and, and he said these guys get in a state where they're like the Dalai Lama said they're in level three. It's instinctual. So like I like that that you you get the. You do level one in your class in terms of getting them, or level one and two, get them the insight, get them started, and then you put them at level three, which is let's make this instinctual. Go hang, go go skydiving, because that locks it in the brain.
1: Right. That, yeah, it's,
0: I can do some stuff.
1: Exactly, and that's that's sort of the the answer to the critique where guys go, oh well, how am I going to learn this all in one week? Because we have the one week residential program in LA. How am I going to learn this all in one week? You're not. You've got six months of prep before your program. You've got six months of follow up after your program. You've got the alumni network of guys that are all around the world working on this stuff, and you're gonna go out and do the work on your own. Anybody who signs up and goes, "Make me confident." All right, I've got 48 hours. It's like, nope. Go somewhere else. Find your magic diet pills somewhere else because that's not what we do. We affect real change. But man, if I could affect that change in in just a week or in just a few days, we'd be having we'd be doing this show on my jet, Ty. <laughs>
0: Be the richest man in america so exactly tell me so so you've got this cool thing this residential thing and so guys there's six month lead up to it what do you, yeah. you so that what is that just like coursework online or something it, you know? yeah
1: we have an online academy that is we have sort of the a la carte version but we have the student version which has a lot of drills and exercises includes phone coaching for guys to talk with the coaching staff before they come in and we're constantly taking notes and moving guys forward so they can kick the proverbial rust off of their social skills and their business networking and their relationship development before they come in. And then, you know, we work a lot, a lot on making sure that those guys are, are, you know, not just coming in cold. I mean, you can, but obviously it's a little bit more effective to not come in totally cold. And it, after that, at that point, You know, you're working on your sticking points, you're working on some basics like nonverbal communication, there's drills and exercises that you're doing on your own and reporting back, journaling these things so that people can give you feedback, and then you come to the week-long program where we really do a lot of hands-on stuff and force you into uncomfortable situations, videotape you in social interactions, break down the videotape with you so you can see where your nonverbal communication is breaking down and then we fix that with you. As well during the week, and then we give you milestones for after the week as well. So it's it's pretty intense and it's pretty involved. So
0: let's say somebody tell me some uh, horror stories and some success stories. What's the tell me a story about? Uh, let's let's start with the horror story. Somebody comes in, you get the yeah, and I'm sure this happens. They're just too cocky. I mean, what? Give me some specifics of people. You're just like at the end of the week, you're just like. This person is not helpable because of their state of mind. I mean, what are, any crazy things? People freaking out, people. You
1: know, I mean, not sure. we, we definitely, we, we have, we've had some horror stories, but nobody that we've, that freaks out. Cause I screen all of the students before they come in because I, I actually right. have no choice. Um, one, it only takes one guy to ruin a week long program, as you might imagine, right. especially when there's yes. seven guys in the room. So I keep right. the weirdos and sociopaths well away from the art of charm. But. Uh, I do actually also have an obligation because we get a lot of military, special forces and intelligence guys in here. I have to I have to do an extra layer of screening that makes sure that they're not, you know, friggin North Korean spies or something like that. I don't know. Where, I don't know how I'd be able to <laughs> not spot that. So they're
0: coming in and they're like, we're North Korean spies. We want to learn confidence so we can. Take over America? Yeah, kind of I mean, a...
1: I, I don't really know exactly <laughs> what, but the, you know, the we do report to, to certain government officials when there's anything suspicious, and honestly, there hasn't really been. Hey, so that
0: happened. that's a pretty cool story. That's yeah, cool we actually.
1: We, yeah, we have to. We we've had to. Um, in fact, they they requested that from us because they we've had so many people come through from the intelligence services. That in order to be able to have those types of people come in, they they do scrutinize you a little bit. So they were like, "We just need to make sure that you know you and your coaches aren't you know sketchy or Soviets or whatever you know former Soviets <laughs> I like something former like that." Former
0: Soviets. Is uh, there yeah. anybody named Igor on staff? That's yeah, what we exactly. want to know, man.
1: Jordan, you oh, were you were 11 years old when the Berlin Wall fell. What did your parents tell you about socialism? <laughs> and, and what do you think about capitalism? No, not really. But I mean, there's they do check for foreign passports and things like that. And it's, it's no big deal. I mean, we've literally never had an issue, but I screen those guys pretty hard, but we do have, uh, we have had some funny horror stories. So I'll start with this one. Uh, We had a guy come in and he was one of these very technical guys. He was a social engineer, which a a penetration tester by trade. And what that means is he gets hired by companies like example, Amazon will hire him to break in to their, maybe one of their warehouses Um, and he'll also hack into it using the computer, and so one of the things that we were working on with him was some of the skills he'll need for a physical penetration test, namely pretending to be somebody else, using, you know, identity and cover to get in, and and of course that's a natural offshoot of what we're teaching at The Art of Charm, which is actually authenticity and connection. Those skills do have an overlap with anything that you might have improv-wise with Physical penetration testing. Getting people to like and trust you is the name of that game. Same thing in any relationship right, right, right. development as well. So we had him working on that stuff. And the problem was he was so highly technical. He was one of those guys that like he had his phone on his belt and he had lockpicks with him everywhere that he went. We're like, you know, that sort of alienates you from a lot of other people. You can't carry that stuff around. So he had he, he really locks
0: on his phone.
1: I know, right? And he really, really resisted. Throughout most of the course, and he always had his lockpicks and his hidden lockpicks, and you know, inside his belt and all that stuff. So finally, on the last day of his of his boot camp, he was like, "All right, I'm I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna go out and we're like, leave Leonard, leave the lock lockpicks at AOC, leave them at AOC." And he's like, "Oh, okay." We're like, "You don't need anything like that. You don't need any technical stuff. We're just gonna go out tonight and have fun." So, you know, we we finally managed on getting this guy out of his head. And and don't get me wrong, like I said, most of our clients real cool entrepreneurs and, and special forces and intelligence guys. Occasionally, yeah, but
0: this is the media. We, get, we want to hear the crazy get, story, right? You man. want to hear that Hollywood? Right. I'm in Hollywood. We want That's the right. sensational.
1: So we're giving you the we're giving you the super technical like nerdy dude, uh, and he's a great guy. But he, you know, we finally get him to to leave his his stupid lockpicks at home uh, at AOC in the office, and he goes out and. One of the other students is rolling around. He's got this pair of pink furry handcuffs. And I think you can see where this is going. So he's rocking around the handcuffs and they're playing around and he's talking with this little tiny, like five foot tall Asian girl or something like that at one of the bars that we were at. And Leonard grabs the handcuffs sort of impulsively and slaps them on his wrist and slaps the other end on her wrist. And he's like, Hey, now, you know, now you can't leave me all night or whatever. And she's laughing because they were having a good time, good conversation. And then after a few minutes, Leonard's like, I'm going to go get a drink. Do you want one? She's like, yeah. And he's like, Well, oh, this is going to be awkward walking through with these because the venue's crowded. Where's the key? And the other guy goes, dude, I don't I don't have the key. I didn't bring the key. Uh, I wasn't planning on using these. These are real rocks.
0: handcuffs, too? These
1: are real handcuffs. They had a pink furry oh. fit, like liner around the outside. But he's like, oh, these are real handcuffs and you didn't bring the key. No, I was going to leave them on my belt all night. You know, I didn't think you were going to uh. take them off. I was just sort of. Having fun with these things, and we had already banned these handcuffs because we don't like props and stupid stuff like that. But somebody had brought these handcuffs, or maybe they, you know, I I, I don't remember exactly where they came from, but you know, they they showed up at the at, the stupid, at this stupid bar, these stupid handcuffs, and so suddenly she kind of realized that she was handcuffed to this guy, and he realized he was, was handcuffed really... to and first things first, Leonard is about forty six, forty seven, divorced with two kids that are not that much younger than this girl who was probably like 21, 22 years old. I mean, she was quite young. So the reality started to set in. Security came up and was like, what's going on? Uh, and they were like, hey, do you have a handcuff key by any chance? Because a lot of doormen in L.A. will have that. Because if they need to restrain someone, they'll just cuff them, give them to the cops, switch the cuffs. Are right? all
0: handcuff keys the same key? They
1: are. They are the same key. And, uh-huh. yeah. And so, of course, that's why you can pick them with a, with a hairpin if you have one. But nobody, I mean, who wears hairpins now? So, of course, Leonard's going, don't worry, I've got lockpicks in my belt. No, I don't. We made him leave him at home. Don't worry, I've got an emergency hairpin tucked into my pants. No, I don't. These are new pants that he had just gotten that day with our stylist at the mall and hadn't had a chance to, like, put in his, you know, secret agent uh, stuff yet. So slowly but surely she starts to freak out a little bit, and he's, you know, because she's handcuffed to this guy, and her friends are like, we're going to go somewhere else. And she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And it's going to work out. So l- l- basically security's like, I can't kick him out because he's handcuffed to like this girl and she can't go to the bathroom. Cause she's handcuffed to this guy and this guy's, you know, he's not like an aggressive weirdo. He just, this is just like a joke gone horribly wrong. So what do we do? They don't want to call the cops because then it's like, there's police at the venue and it doesn't look good. And you know, so right. just as they're like, what are we going to do? And just as I am sort of belaboring the prospect and letting the prospect think in that I might have to drive two handcuffed people back to my office at like one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night and then drive and unhandcuff them and or go to the office, grab the key and come back with it, which could take upwards of half an hour. AJ, my business partner and one of the head instructors at the Art of Charm shows up raising this handcuffed key in the air like it's this freaking Stanley Cup. And you <laughs> half the bar at this point knows what's going on and everyone just erupts in... Laughter and simultaneous applause, and it's like he just brought it's like he just brought beer to the high school party, right? Everyone's like, yeah, and comes in, unlocks the two. She vanishes, of course, immediately because she's embarrassed as all hell. And Leonard goes, "See, I told you, you guys should have let me bring my lockpick." So I think maybe we learned a lesson on that one.
0: You learned a lesson. Let the nerds have their nerd tools. They let the, an let and the
1: guy let Batman bring his bat tools to boot camp, and just don't <laughs> ask questions. I think that's the lesson we learned there. Um,
0: that
1: but is honest, That's Honestly, we've had many more success stories than we've had horror stories. And if that's a horror story, then then I'll take it, right? Um, that's
0: a good... I mean, how often do people, you know, when you, you see someone listening, and I think everybody... I, I would say it's a common uh, human dilemma to feel, man, I don't feel confident. I, I, even the most confident person, in certain environments, you're not going to feel that confident. Uh, whatever that environment might be, I've seen it with, you know, billionaires. I've taken billionaires, put them in certain environments, they lose their confidence. I've taken pro athletes, certain environments, you know. So we all have this. Are there people that you just think are too far gone, it's like there's nothing you can do?
1: Not really. No, I mean we've the the only people that we quote unquote cannot teach are people that are deliberately being unteachable, and right. by by that I mean that. I can, and I again one of the things that I screen for, you know when I'm looking at guys from who are trying to come into AOC, into the art of charm and into our workshops are are signs of what you call uncoachability. So it's essentially and, and I'll give you just an example so I don't have to be sort of vague the whole time. We had a doctor and he was in his mid 40s, he was a, a radiologist and he was really convinced that you know, none of this stuff's gonna work for me. And this is years ago, and, and so somebody like that wouldn't really get in at this point because he was just so down on himself. He wouldn't try any of the prep. He was just really not into it. And so one of the things that, that we had really focused on and that we focus on now is pro, being proactive in the willingness to learn. Well, this guy, as it turned out, was going from, and I found this out later, which is one of the reasons I ask if they had any previous coaching, He was going from coach to coach to coach to coach, joining their program, not applying himself, and making sure that he failed in order to prove to himself that he was uncoachable because it was better than him going through the alternative, which was realizing that failure was actually his own responsibility and not that of anyone else. And so we can screen really well for that now, but back then it was really tough. And of course, you know, this is four or five years ago, I was just like, challenge accepted, you know, we'll get you back on your feet. And, you know, to this day, he keeps in touch and he says that this was a great experience and he really likes what he learned from us. But honestly, I think the reason he was, quote unquote, successful at the Art of Charm is because he succeeded in making sure that he was uncoachable. And there's always people like that. There's a lot of people that go to the gym that will overeat even more after they go to the gym to make sure they don't lose any weight because what they want to do is prove to their trainer and themselves that going to the gym is a waste of time because they actually gained weight when going. And so they should just be left alone to overeat because they're doing something for an emotional reason, right? Well, this I
0: guy, teach, I I, yeah, I teach, you know, Dr., Dr., uh, Martin Seligman, the great uh, psychologist and, and kind of the number one guy in happiness in the world, he became famous for his work on what's called learned helplessness. Exactly. So he, I call it the monkey in the cage. Most of us uh, or most people are content to be the monkey in the cage. We're at eight in the morning, noon, and at five o'clock. The, the the zookeeper comes in with a little pail of slop and throws it to us and we eat. And what Martin Seligman said is he said, not only is that a crappy life outwardly, but the monkey is not happy. There's lower levels of when you feel helpless, that's when depression sets in. And in, I tell people, look, it's a modern world. You have 15-year-olds selling companies for $30 million. You have uh, this guy uh, that, that uh, is here in L.A., 72 years old. He's a pro bodybuilder. He's got six-pack abs. We're living in the greatest time ever, yet people – and so we're, we're actually not even in the cage. We're out of the cage, out in the jungle. But what Martin Seligman found, and it's not, it's zookeepers know this, you take an animal used to being – helpless and the food being brought to it. you stick it out you take it back to Africa and drop it in the middle of the jungle that monkey generally dies because it doesn't go wait I'm in the jungle I can reach for the fruit myself no it would it's been learned the rewiring at a genetic level of its brain you know there's parts of our brain that can be expressed which are about epigenetics and um you can I'm reading this it's fascinating you know I read a book a day and I'm reading this book Ian Robertson a of success and There's an actual neural pathway change where you get more dopamine and testosterone receptors when you succeed and when you fail and when you are helpless, you're creating this feedback loop and the amount of receptors in your brain are getting smaller. That's why in great part, why the rich get richer and the poor get poor because it's literally rewiring the hardwiring of your brain. And so this guy is just going to learn helpless state and you, you have to, your only chance is if you have some you know, way you can snap him out, but if you can't snap him out, he's going to be that monkey out there in the middle of the jungle with fruit on all the trees, and this guy's starving to death.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If if you're not willing to sort of apply yourself there, and and that's the thing is it is tricky. I mean, it can be tough to undo a lifetime of conditioning. You have to really want to do it. You have to be able to do it. And, and and by able, I mean able to put your ego aside and come through and do it. Because a lot of people feel so much safer in their comfort zone that they'd rather stay in that comfort zone, even if they're miserable every day of their life, than than venture outside of it. Because the, uh, they fear the unknown even more.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, this learn help us. This thing is. I tell people it starts when you're obviously salaries. I call it the salary slave. Uh, working at a job, not as a partner, not a, with equity. There's nothing wrong with getting uh, pay, but if I'm talking about the way it's being given to you, if it's given to you like the zookeeper, then that learned, that's reinforcing learning helplessness. But it goes beyond that. Think about what happens to you when you're five years old. You're in a class or or whatever, six years old. You're in first grade, and a teacher says, we're going to learn about California history this year. And they bring you the textbook and they say, first you're going to read page one, then you're going to read page two, and as a po- so they're just reinforcing hopelessness. You're feeling more and more uh, that subconsciously your brain is going. When I want to know something, it will be spoon fed to me. Now, what right. could happen and should happen is the teacher should say, "Here's the end goal. I want you to learn. Uh, I want you to learn how to do, uh, understand California history." Here's the bookshelf. Pick the books that interest you. There's different things about maybe it's biology, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And you pick it and you teach yourself. And uh, But we've all been reinforced to learn that we're in a helpless state. So I'm sure you're dealing with one of the main things you're dealing with.
1: Yes. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that uh, as well. But you know what? I screen it out. Um, and, and so I don't have to worry about it too much anymore. But yeah, it can be a giant pain in the butt um, before I learned how to do that. It was definitely... obnoxious
0: what got you tell me your backstory like where were you that you ended up here well Uh, i teach
1: yeah i was working at a law firm and i was essentially an intern you know summer associate and it was it was it was all right i mean i i didn't love the job i i thought there's no way i want to be a lawyer um it's not my thing and, you know, I'd heard rumors that the guy who'd hired me was making more money than everybody else, even though he was never in the office. And so I thought, okay, that's, that's really weird. I wonder what's up with that. And he was supposedly like my mentor or whatever, which basically is a fancy HR type of thing where they basically tell some guy that he's your mentor because he hired you and say, he's got to like go out with you for coffee. So he'd been avoiding this all summer. and I. Finally got a hold of him and he was like, hey, yeah, let's go out for coffee or beer. So he goes, ask me anything. And I said, all right, how come? And I'm sure he thought I was going to ask about real estate financing or something. And he goes, uh, I asked him, why are you never in the office and yet you make all of the money compared to the partners? You make a lot more money. And he was like, oh, uh, well, okay." And so he very frankly told me that the reasoning behind that was that even though the people who are in the office at 3 a.m. on a Sunday night, these partners were highly technically skilled, they were actually quite replaceable. Because it's, there's always going to be somebody who's willing to work real hard, manage a deal, and has the technical skill to do so. Um, it's, a, it's something that you can learn easily. It's something that you can hire for pretty easily, especially if you're willing to pay the price. However, he was out generating business for the firm. So he had a great tan for a Brooklyn boy. He was always golfing. He was on cruises and at charity events. He did jujitsu. And, you know, he was always out and doing something. And he told me that that skill was far more valuable than simply the technical know-how. So not only was he billing the firm for all these cool things, but he was never in the office. And he could take time off. He worked from home. He basically fired off a couple emails here and there with instructions He rounded us up for meetings, and then we didn't see him for three weeks. And it was phenomenal for him, I'm sure. And don't forget, he was compensated much more highly than the other guys. And I asked him why, and he said, listen, if I leave, I'm taking my client book with me, and the firm will lose all of that money. So I basically, they have to to keep me happy and fed, even if that means paying more than my quote-unquote fair share based on billable hours, which I thought was just insanity. So I was like, I was thinking to myself, let me get this straight. I can master people skills, which are already far more interesting to me, or I can work on technical skill and be battling these like Asian and Indian dudes who are like busting their ass, living in the office, sleeping under their desk, who were my colleagues at that time, just to get a partner position where I'm in the office at 3 a.m. on a Sunday. Are you, like, what, what are you talk, how is this even, a, a, why is not everybody doing this? And I realized people skills are so much more rare and they're so much more difficult to learn without somebody teaching them to you that it's, most people view that as an impossible feat. And they hire right. based on that skill set. It's kind of like being a pro athlete in business. You're selling yourself, you're selling the firm, you're selling the firm services as an attorney. That is hugely valuable. And so I set out to learn that. I read every book on networking I could find. I contacted every coach I could find. I tried to take every class I could find on the subject. Most of it was garbage. And was like, put yourself out there, you know. Keep a good Rolodex and call everybody once every two weeks. I mean, it's just stuff that doesn't work. It doesn't mean that person likes you. It doesn't mean that person trusts you. It was all about like collecting business cards and you know keeping people, keeping yourself fresh in people's minds. The best thing I read was Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and that was written almost hundred years ago. So it was just a, it was time for a redux. So working on these networking skills essentially applying them to dating because I'd ran into my business partner, AJ, who is phenomenal with the opposite sex. And I thought, okay, I'm teaching him networking. He's teaching me dating. There is overlap here. That so, there was,
0: we, so you didn't necessarily go into it to learn dating, which no. is what a lot of guys go into it for.
1: Well, that's why we market it as such because if we marketed it as, hey, you know, we can teach you networking and relationship development to change your life, half of the, right. the younger guys would go, <laughs> I don't care. That's for you can't people. say to
0: guys, you got to lead with the reward. You can't tell guys, hey guys, I'm going to teach you how to meet a whole bunch of guys. That's not a huge uh, reward. Right. They're, they're, like,
1: the they're like, I'm good. I have a job and eventually I'll get promoted. I don't need to learn how to do this. But if I'm like <laughs> dot, 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 baby, you know, women and chits and boobies or whatever they need to hear, you know, they're like, oh my God, wait, what was that thing you said again? And so we, we call it hiding the broccoli. Because in order to eat a a kid... I have a broccoli with
0: some cheese, right? Yes,
1: yeah. In order to get a kid to eat broccoli, you put the cheese on it, and then he goes, yum, and then your kid's eating broccoli. And so, guys, we we get them listening to the podcast, The Art of Charm, and they go, oh, I'm going to learn how to do this dating stuff and meet some girls, and they do that stuff, and they're like, whoa, this works, and then they start listening to the business and networking shows that we have and some of the other shows that we have on different subjects, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm finally getting that there is overlap in this area, but we got to get them in with the cheese because if you say... Be an entrepreneur and get your stuff together. People are like, eh, F that. I got a cool job. I don't care. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, life, I call it the integrated life. The life that you want to live, the good life. I was just reading, uh, I can't remember whose book. I think it was uh, Van Gogh or one of the greats. It's, uh, there's never, oh, I know it was, uh, yeah, I'll remember it. There's never coming or going in a good life. Oh, I was reading George Mumford. He's, a, he's the guy who, uh, the psychologist who trained Michael Jordan on mindfulness and stuff. And he says, it's like Dr. Dre says, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Meaning it's all this, it's all related life. It should be. I lived with the Amish for two and a half years. What I saw there is the power of an integrated life. So what you're saying is there's no coming or going. There's no delineation between Okay, here's the things that you do that make you successful with the opposite sex or whoever you're wanting to date. And here's the things that make you good at business. It's really one thing. You just lead with it from a standpoint of getting people's attention, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is all one skill set. It's just that it applies in many different areas, one of which happens to be much more engaging initially than the other. But the the skills are the same. We don't say, hey, we're going to teach you dating stuff, and it's like, sucker, you're not learning any of that. You're learning business. We don't do that. It's actually the same skill set. There's no bait and switch. It's just that we focus on one side versus the other. It's like a girl who wears makeup. It's the same girl with the makeup off. You're just accentuating certain features initially.
0: Right. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, well, that's a hard concept for people to get that, the things that you got to do for one thing are the things that will work for the other thing. I mean, people want there to be, that's, there's a cognitive bias in the human brain um, that basically says, okay, life is all different. I'm going to, it's called the certainty bias. So we want to be certain. Okay, this is the one thing that I can be certain of. This pickup line works. But when you step back or if you can step back, um, you can really see. Like, now oh, man, love new level of realities entered into your brain. This thing that we call success is completely applicable at every level. I'm actually putting out this a new version of my sixty-seven steps. So it's kind of what I did my TED talk on. And and then like I on the front cover of the outline it says sixty-seven steps, and then it's like to be a millionaire, to date, you know, supermodel, to get a six pack to save, you know, eradicate poverty from the world, whatever it is you want, there's definitely an underlying theme here. We know now why it is. It's this way that our brain is hardwired. So you just got to reverse engineer it. It's easier said than done. Uh, like you said, what do you think is, um, uh, you know, stepping back from this, what we've been talking about, and along these lines of this neural pathway of success, uh, is there one thing that you think is, absolutely the hardest barrier, like for example, could be talking to the to a girl or going out and taking the first step to go hang gliding or swallowing your pride to even be able to take a class. What's the biggest hurdle that you go, know, this guy's got to get over? Or we're not even on we're not even on the starting line.
1: It's always ego. It's it's always, always ego. Um the second sort of runner up to that would be like the them not necessarily seeing the value in, uh, in how that works. So like, a lot of people will go, oh, you know, that's too much money because they don't understand the problem that it solves. You know, right. they'll say, oh, I don't want to, or I can't take a whole week off work. And I'm thinking, you would work for five years to get a promotion, but you wouldn't take a week off to get that promotion two years sooner than you normally would. It makes no sense. So it's like there's weird sort of biases or like logical fallacies going on in the, in the brain that don't, where people don't necessarily understand the value of what they're getting and they don't understand the sort of secret game being played around them. Cause a lot of people will go, Oh um, yeah, I don't really, networking's not really a thing that you need in my field. And it's funny because I, I, especially I used to get that a lot from military guys, not special forces guys. Those guys are like, they're very cognizant of what people and relationships the purposes that they, they serve, especially guys like Green Berets who teach other people for a living. They know they've got to be relatable and relate to others. Um, any any sort of elite level performer will know this, but sort of grunt level, and I, I say that tongue in cheek, guys who are maybe like just below officer or lower officer level, they're like, oh, it's the military. You know, we get promoted on a certain scale. It doesn't really matter. I don't really need these networking skills. And then we'll have a like, like a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force come through the Yard of Charm and I did a show with, with Lieutenant Colonel LeDuc of the United States Air Force on the show. And he talked about how just critical networking is in the military and how it's important for rank, for promotion, for getting stationed where you want to be. So if you're in the military and you're listening to this and you're a dude in a cave in Nevada, it's, it's not necessarily because someone doesn't like you, but it's probably because nobody knows about you slash cares about you and thus you get stationed in a shithole. You know it's right. there are people everywhere that are getting kick ass Hawaii assignments in the Navy or you know getting the unit that they want or getting another shot at some sort of training school or getting more training opportunities because their superior officers are aware of who they are, and the people that are working with them at that same level go, "You know what? I have another recommendation for somebody who would be good in this school and they'll 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 have you back if you're just." Minding your own business quietly, which is a lot of people's strategy, not just in the military, but in their whole life, not even just their right. career, you're, you will not get anywhere. If you're trying to be the invisible man, the best that you'll be is invisible, and the worst that you'll be is dislike universally.
0: Well, one of my, uh, one of my business partners, his dad, is a, a colonel in the Army. Uh, and I was talking to him, and I said, you know what, because no one wants to stay a colonel. Right? No. Like a colonel like basically meaning you sh- if you don't become a general.
1: That shit or get off the pot as a general. Yeah.
0: If you don't retire a general, you did something wrong. So I said, What happened to your dad? You know, why was he not a general? And he said, Death by faint praise. And I was like, What is that? You know, I, what you say? I was like, What's death by faint praise? And this is a right. principle I teach. And I, and I said, Okay, what do you mean by that? And he said, Well, listen, here's what happens when you're a colonel. Uh, and you become a general. Here's what happens: you are a whole bunch of generals. Without you being there, are going out to lunch together, and they're like, "We need to promote somebody. It's time." And they they ask around. They're like, "What do you think about that? You know, Bob guy." And if the generals go, "Yeah, Bob, he's a pretty good guy. Pretty good guy." That's death by faint praise. The praise wow. that they gave Bob isn't like because nobody comes becomes a general until when those other generals are talking and say. What do you think of that George guy? They go, holy crap, that's the best guy. That's the best colonel in the army. You need massive praise. And I tell people in life, you're probably, and I don't care whether it's with women, uh, whether it is in business or whatever you're trying to achieve. I think most of us get about three big chances at life. In fact, most of us have already had a big chance that we messed up, that we maybe it was death by faint phrase, or maybe we weren't even aware enough to realize it came our way. And so what happens is we go through lives. This is why, as the saying goes, lives of quiet desolation because Charlie Munger, the self-made billionaire, his grandfather said to him, he said, Charlie, he was only a little kid. He said, Charlie, uh, opportunities that will come, great opportunities are rare. It's a rare life. That is absolutely bathed in opportunity all the way. Most people get only a few chances to make a big uh, to make a big impression on the world. And he said, Charlie, when one of those comes your way, you know, be ready and seize it, and don't do it small. And so what happens is life becomes a preparation in the day to day. As John Calipari, the Kentucky coach, calls it, or Ray Kroc, the founder of the Modern McDonald's, calls it. You're grinding it out on a day-by-day basis. You must grind it out. And then you're in preparation for that rare opportunity. If you're a colonel, there will be a day when generals will talk about you. Your name will come up. And you better have been ready for that for years. You better have been building. If you're a dude, you know, people are always... I, I, I've i been lucky enough to, you know, date some of the most beautiful women in the world, celebrities and supermodels. People are like... What is, how do you do that? And I'm like, it's not a thing. It's not like on Monday, a supermodel ends up at your house and you strike up a conversation and she goes, ooh, I want to go out with you. And it's the same way Brad Pitt did not get Angelina Jolie in a day. It's who Brad Pitt was through grinding it out on a day by day basis. And when his number came up and when Angelina Jolie was single, he sees that opportunity, and, and it's the same in business and whatever. you, And it's a, definitely the same in military. People do business with people who impress them. They date people who impress them. They befriend people who impress them, especially at the highest levels.
1: Absolutely. You, 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 people buy you. That's one of the things we say a lot at The Art of Charm because we'll get a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, yeah, but my product is so awesome. You know, I, I think it speaks for itself. Your product will never speak for itself. Almost never, I should say. There's always the you know, right. there's always the Facebook, but even then, one of the reasons that it's doing so well, major reasons is is cause Zuckerberg. he's not necessarily the most charismatic dude, but he he clearly has the vision, right? Um but right. very few products will speak for themselves and, and often when they do, a competitor with a more charismatic owner or frontman will simply overtake.
0: Yes. For sure. So do you i I'm assuming that just like uh uh you have this Confidence, you tie in charisma as kind of an outgrowth of confidence, or confidence yes. first, charisma second.
1: Confidence is something that you can, that you can become. Confident is something you can become. That's something we can train you for. Charisma is kind of a physical manifestation of confidence, and, and it, I guess it goes hand in hand with what people would refer to as personal magnetism. So you can be very confident, but you can be relatively uncharismatic and I'll right. I'll I'll give you an example just in case somebody out there's listening and doesn't quite know what I mean. You can be very self-confident, you can be very self-assured and you know say you're a tradesman. Think of, you know, your dad or one of your dad's friends or something like that who's really great auto mechanic. He might be really confident and he might be really confident in a lot of areas. He just might be very soft-spoken, he might be very quiet, he might not be a great communicator. It doesn't mean he's not confident, but it does mean he's not super charismatic, right? He might even right. work for somebody who has crap technical skill and doesn't understand how cars even work, but that guy might run the auto shop and he might be a great leader because maybe he's charismatic. Maybe people really respect him. Maybe he knows how to communicate and keep people engaged. He knows how to sell the business. That's just as important. Well, actually, it's more important than technical skill. And that goes back to my point on when I was on Wall Street, the lawyers who were in the office at 3 a.m., very valuable people, very technically skilled. The only guy more valuable than him the guy who never really works because he's got the personal magnetism that brings in the business and gets the check signed.
0: Remember by the Chris Rock, he was talking about, uh, he was talking about Shaquille O'Neal. He goes, I actually was at a little uh, Monday. I was at a little uh, comedy show. My friend does little, like 20 of us. And I was sitting on the front row there and the host gets up, Jay. And it's like an underground place in LA a comedy show. And he's like,
1: Hey, I got one more guest,
0: video I want to see him. And people are, like, leaving. It's like, Chris Rock. So Chris Rock rolls in because he's doing the BET Awards. Comes with a funny bodyguard. and comes up there. And he, it was funny because I was reminding Chris Rock, you know, people think Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, he's rich because he, whatever, he had a $118 million contract, I think, at one point. And he said, he goes, Shaq isn't uh, rich. He's you know he's well to do. He said the man who signs Shaq's check, check is rich because if you can pay a man 118 million dollars, you sure as have a lot more in your bank account. So it's kind right. of it's kind of uh, the same thing you're saying. You work you go to these jobs and and this comes down to role models and mentors. So many people make the wrong person the role model. They're like, ooh, this Wall Street trader, ooh, this you know, CEO that's uh, making 10 million bucks a year. But I'm like, but what about the founder of the business? That's who you want to be. One of my mentors, I was I was uh, in New Zealand and I, I had saved up, I was still a teenager, I would saved up $15,000. I had started my first business uh, and was partners with a guy who's pretty famous now, Joel Salatin. And I took the profits from him. The partnership I made with Joel and I traveled the world. I ended up in New Zealand with this guy Gary Townsend, who's one of the richer guys in New Zealand. And um, he said to me, "He says, you know, Ty, here's the definition that you need to remember about life." He said, "An employee is somebody who uses their energy for somebody else's dream. Now, he said the next level above that is business owner. The business owner uses his energy and his money." for his own dream. And many people, he said, think that's the greatest. But he goes, well, let's go above that. There's an investor. Investor uses his own capital and other people's energy for the investor's dream. But he said the final and the highest is a capitalist. A capitalist uses other people's money and other people's energy for their dream. So you can, you know, whether you agree with that political stance or economic stance, is not the point. The point is, be careful who you copy, because many people are copying the wrong person on the food chain. Go straight to the food chain, top of the food chain. Even if you don't want to be at the top, it's better to learn basketball from Michael Jordan than me. Because even if you're only, if you're as tenth as good as be at basketball, you won't be very good. But if you're as tenth as good as Michael Jordan, well, you, you have pretty good skills. And it's the same with confidence, business. Go straight to the top. And that's one of the hardest things for people to wrap their mind around. People expect set low expectations and low low-level role models
1: yeah that's true I, I think there's there is one missing factor though and it's how well can somebody teach something I wouldn't want Tiger Woods as a golf coach coach necessarily because I don't I don't actually know if he can teach people how to play golf and I don't want to try to figure out what he's doing by watching him because that could take me a hundred years And that's a it's it's actually it's a common fallacy because people go, you know what, I don't need a whole week long. I just need to like see what you guys are doing and then I can imitate it. And it's like, no, you can't, because you will have no idea what the processes are in place. You might you might be able to look and sound exactly like me when talking with somebody, but it does not mean that you will get all of the right factors because maybe that's not what's important, right?
0: Yeah. Well, what you might want to do in that case is see if you could be trained by his
1: trainer. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so you'd want, somebody, you'd want whoever made trainer. him into that. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah,
0: But it's still going to the top, whether or yeah, not you're it's right. that exactly. exactly. You know what I mean?
1: I just don't want so people what you to about think talking? that there's there's no point in learning anything. Like, I don't want people to think, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to learn from Warren Buffett, so I'm going to wait until that happens, and I'm not going to start investing until then. Because that's a very right. common excuse process. Oh, well, you know, I don't have the ability to do this thing where I do this wild and crazy, amazing startup uh, because I can't get Mark Zuckerberg to return my call. So I'm going to wait until that happens. And until then I'm going to be stuck, you know, mediocre. And I'm just going to blame society and the environment and the economy or whatever. Right.
0: Yep. So let's talk about this as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, When people graduate from this course, what have you learned, um, about how to keep people going. You said you got this alumni system where people continue to learn. Tell me more about because This is applicable to anything people are doing because it's not enough to start, you have to finish. So what do you find about the follow-up? What works and what doesn't work?
1: Follow-up is key. So what we're doing during the week, instead of just teaching you techniques, habits, and not only just coaching you, we're actually instilling habits. So you need to know that every time you go through the door, you're going to change your body language. Every time there's a certain cue and a certain conversation, you're going to change your eye contact, vocal tonality, or not even just change, but be aware of. That way you can self-monitor and it becomes internal. The idea is to internalize these skills so that they're, you know, we're looking at authentic, right? This is a subtractive process. We're taking things away, insecurities and things like that, not adding layers onto your personality. So, We are actually making sure that there's a system in place that develops those habits or helps you develop those habits. There's support people are keeping in touch with you. Thus, those habits continue to develop. We also have six months after your program, there's online follow-up. You're getting missions every week. You're getting follow-up videos every week because if you don't and you fall off the wagon because you don't have a plan and you don't have the habits in place, you can reset yourself, go right back to where you were. However, if you've got some healthy habits in place, and you've also got an accountability network, and you've got something that you can do regularly to make sure that you're honing your skill set. You will continue to improve. And it's the same thing with like fitness, for example. A lot of people go, "Oh, I didn't need this anymore because you know now I have a girlfriend." Well, did you stop going to the gym as soon as you got in shape? I mean, is that yeah. if if you did that, then how did that work out for you? You know, or guys that are trying to get healthy, you don't go on a diet, eat vegetables and salad for three months. Lose 60 pounds and go, great, where's the pizza? I'm going to eat that every day for dinner now. You're changing your habits for lasting change. You're not just doing something that's going to be a quick fix and then you can forget about it. You know, and, and that's the beautiful part is you won't want to change once you start getting that positive feedback. Nobody wants to change. But it can take a while to kick off all of that rust, blow through some of that fear. And that's why the coaching process is so intense. And that's why it can't be done only online. It can't be done in an e-book like a lot of shysters and charlatans claim because it's such an intense process. We're having a hard time squeezing what we need to do into 60 hours. So I don't understand how people think they're gonna read an ebook book and 45 minutes later they're gonna go out and find their dream girl and dot, 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 babies, right? It's just not realistic.
0: Well, like the saying goes, if you're in a room and you don't know the sucker, you're the sucker. So right. when people buy get-rich-quick-fit schemes, when people buy something that says, you know, by tomorrow, uh, Megan Fox is going to be uh, stalking you. I'm going to teach you three lines that make Megan Fox addicted to you. Uh, if you believe in that, well, like I said, guess who the sucker of the situation It's not uh-huh. the person selling the ebook, the person, the buyer. So when you stick people, uh, so they finish, uh, you've got systems, you've been instilling habits. Do you stick them in formal groups where they're connected to the alumni?
1: We do, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a, the alumni network has geographical divisions, and that's for obvious. Well, maybe not obvious, but the reason is if you live in San Francisco, we, you know it's great to have the guys from your boot camp who are from all over the world, most likely. But it's even mm-hmm. better to have not only those guys who went through the experience with you, but somebody where you're up. You know, it's Friday, you're tired, you came home from work, and you go. I should go out and meet some people tonight, but, oh, I just cannot freaking be bothered at all. And then your, your alumni group calls and says, hey, John's having a birthday party. There's going to be a lot of people there. Why don't you come along? And you go, eh, I'm tired. And they go, don't be a wuss. Get your ass over here. I'm going to come pick you up. That's a lot easier to stay on the wagon when you have that kind of accountability versus, oh, yeah, I totally went out this weekend. and I said hi to this person. and uh, Whatever. I don't care. I'm tired. You know, it's that accountability there and that network of, of people close to you there who also have their days where they go, oh, I just can't be bothered. It's your job to drag each other out of that funk. And that's, that's something that happens every day on the alumni board. It, people are calling each other. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of events. I live in San Francisco now and I go to LA all the time. There's never a week that goes by that doesn't have, Hey, what's everybody doing this weekend? Or, Hey, it's my birthday. Or, Hey, there's a party here. There's, there's an event here. There's a concert here. Hey, I've got extra tickets for this. I mean, it's just non-stop. So if you're not active with the alumni network, it's because you don't want to be. It's not because there's no activity. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of guys in there from all over the world. So it's, it's harder to not be accountable at that point than it is to just go with the flow of everybody who's improving. And I think that's the real strength of the follow-up.
0: Right. Awesome, man. Well, if people want to know more about you, they want to know more about uh, your podcast. They want to know more about the schools and the training that you offer. What's the best place to go?
1: Sure. So, the Art of Charm podcast is in iTunes or whatever you're listening using to listen to this now, Stitcher, whatever. The Art of Charm podcast, it's all free. It's just, you know, you're already listening to a podcast. You might as well add this to the rotation. And, guys who are interested can go to theartofcharm.com or theartofcharmpodcast.com. There's tons of shows there, tons of content. Our phone number's there. Guys can call us. Or they can just email me. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I'm happy to field any questions from anybody and, you know, get in touch. If you guys want to know more about it, I mean, that's what I'm here for.
0: Yeah, well, awesome. Well, I highly recommend it. Check out the podcast. Check out the training. Uh, listen to this a couple times. Let it sink deeply in. And uh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Have fun. Uh, Enjoy your weekend, and I'll see you when we're in L.A.
0: Awesome. Talk to you soon. Take care.